Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Anthony Stein. Anthony is a Catholic convert from Gnosticism, whose conversion was influenced by G.K. Chesterton, Fulton Sheen, Hilaire Berlach, and St. Philomena. He is the creator of Return to Tradition, which covers the crisis in the Catholic Church and its connection to the ongoing degradation of society and preserving the tradition of the Catholic Church. Return to Tradition also dives into current news and history. And Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I just really appreciate your work. I thought maybe we'd start off uh, you talking about Return to Tradition, how people can follow not only just the website, but also all the videos that you put out each day on YouTube, because you really do, I think, an excellent job of of really going through what's going on and let people come up with their own, you know, how they think about it, what they do, right? You ask people for their opinion. So you're not putting opinions in their head. You're very open about, hey, these are the situations and, you know, what are you thinking? I like to remind people that no uh, Catholic commentator or blogger has been imbued with the charism of infallibility (laughs) that, you know, we are, if we are honest brokers, then we have to admit that at times we probably don't get everything right because again, we're just normal people trying to make sense of the crazy times we live in, in the church. But um, I mean, yeah, people can find me on YouTube or, uh, Spotify and places like that. But I mean, we, you know, it's a daily news thing. I mean, it's become daily. I, to the point where I've had to start live streaming every single day, in addition to my, my standalone news videos, just to keep up with what's going on, even during Christmas, like, especially during Christmas lately, there's just, it's like an avalanche of news at this point. It never seems to stop. Unfortunately, it'd be, you know, great if you didn't have to do what you do, but the challenge is, that we see within the church and really and really coming out of Rome. I mean, you know, we just had the December 18th uh, fiducia sepulchons come out. It's really been a, in the last decade, it's been one thing after another, another. And it really, when you step back and look at things in its totality, it really is a train wreck. Yet we still have people coming on and doing YouTube videos and prominent people within the church and the, in the hierarchy you know, trying to take them one at a time and explain them all away. But when you look at the totality, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck, right? You would think so. But a lot of people do not want to to accept that things are very, very disordered in the church right now, that there's a lack of clarity. And it's not just ambiguity, but because that new document, it's controversial to say, if you understand how Amoris Laetitia was, was unrolled or rolled out into the church, then you're seeing the exact same thing as playing out with this document here. And it's it's causing so much division now among people who are otherwise usually on the same page about the state of the church and are seeking sanctity and trying to just have the same Catholic faith that all their all of our ancestors had. But now we're not it's not even permitted, it seems like. And unfortunately it's not going to get any better anytime soon, I suspect. I would agree with you. And some people think, oh, if we get a new pope, but I mean, the way it's being set up, it could be, you know, even worse situation than we're in now. But when you look at 
everything that's going on, right? This lack of charity on those that get attacked, especially, you know, the traditionalists, right? Surrounding yourselves with, you know, a Cardinal Fernandez, uh, you know, some, you know, a Cardinal McElroy, people that he's elevated to, to be Cardinals, right? Deals with China, the World Economic Forum, right? It's surrounding themselves with all these people that deny truth, deny reality, and try to impose that on the church, it really does bring confusion, and, and it will lead to lost souls, won't it? Yes, it will, especially since it pe- there are now people who believe that the church essentially had gotten it wrong for 2,000 years, and we, we can now bless homosexual unions, or that the truth has changed because of the calendar. And in the modern day, it's now okay to do what was not okay before. There are people who, who actually believe that, that morality changes with the time. <laughs> and they're being led astray, whether it's by their own bishops or by their own, by their own pastors who are refusing to reiterate the truth or by the powers in Rome. Whatever it is, they are, people are being led astray, and it's a real, real tragedy. I think it just really emphasizes the importance of us not only growing in our faith, but understanding it, studying it, right? The church's teachings, the why behind all the teachings of the church, so that when things come out, we can see them as they are. Like this last thing that came out we were just talking about on December 18th, right before Christmas, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, all this focus is you see all these prominent clerical uh, clerics in the church coming out and saying, well, it's not changing marriage. Well, that was a smokescreen to begin with, right? They just threw the marriage piece in there so that everybody could hang their hat on nothing's changed in marriage when they are trying to bless sin. Hmm. It's pretty clear that there has been, this has been something they've been doing slowly for many years now. And this, this predates the current pontificate. I remember reading or seeing interviews with Father Nicholas Gruner and John Venari and others saying that they had gone on pilgrimage to Rome and they had managed to get an audience with Benedict the 16th. And they got, they had, a, you know, the one-on-one time with him. They asked him, why don't you do anything about these, you know, predatory priests and all these other things? And he says, we people write letters to you from America and Europe begging for something to be done. And he said that his authority ended at his office door, that most of his mail has gone through before he even gets it. So this has been a problem for a long time. And we we saw this with Cardinal Casper pushing for communion for the divorced and civilly called remarried, which Francis said was not a possible thing. And then he had the synod against the family happen, which resulted in a Mars Laetitia, which resulted in some dioceses in Central America and South America giving communion for the divorced and civilly remarried. And the Vatican say, no, that's the correct interpretation. We've seen a steady degradation of morals in the church for decades. And it's, I was reminded of something Pope Pius XII said at one point in his papacy. He said, that, he said, to paraphrase him, that the greatest sin of our age is that we have lost the sense of sin. And I think that perfectly well, encapsulates what we, what we are dealing with now, because if the pastors have lost the sense of sin, then, well, I mean... <laughs> The ones who are supposed to lead us have lost the sense of sin. What is, where does that leave us? Well, and I often wonder, you know, this, this false compassion that we see within the church, is it, is it 
do they truly believe that they they love those who are struggling with sin? Is it that they don't want to be disliked? I, you know, I, it's hard to tell, and it's probably different for everyone. But true charity is pointing out our sinfulness, right? As as married couples, right? I'm married, you're married, right? We do our our spouses a disservice if in charity we don't bring out things that we're doing wrong to help make us better, right? We're supposed to help each other get to heaven. And it just mm-hmm. seems like we live in a world that we just want to appease people where they are and then, you know what, not really care about their soul. It's all about how I feel and what people think of me here on this earth. What are your thoughts? There is in my live stream that I did this morning on my channel, there was a um, a letter from an anonymous priest that I cannot even identify whether he was diocesan or whether he was religious, part of a traditional priestly fraternity. To give you an idea of how, you know, how dicey it's gotten, I can't even say that much. But I read his letter and he talked about the her- what, what future generations will probably call the heresy of pastoralism pastoralism was where you take doctrine and dogma and toss it out the window to be nice to people, to make them feel welcome and included. At, at the, you sacrifice truth for people's emotions. And I think that is a facet of modernism, the old heresy of modernism as defined by Pope St. Pius X, you know, 115 years ago or whatever it was, that we are seeing fully today. We are living in an age of absolute emotion, emotionalism, emotiveness. You see it in everything where our sense of reason is surrendered to our emotions. You, you saw with COVID, right? You know, that instead of people being allowed to even ask basic questions about what was going on at the time, what happened? You, we, we were just fed nothing but scaremongering and propaganda images that were meant to tug on our heartstrings. And we see that now in the church. I mean, what did uh, Cardinal Fernandez say in his document? He said that. Yes, we reaffirm the traditional teachings of the church on homosexuality. Well, that's great, except we need to look beyond all of that, basically. <laughs> the pastoral approach requires us to look beyond doctrine. Well, People's I think emotions for any- matter more than truth. Yeah, and I think for anyone listening, you know, anytime someone tries to rationalize their uh, sinful behavior as opposed to changing it and and going to confession, which we don't hear about in this document at all, nothing about the word confession. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the church isn't going to accommodate to our lifestyle. We need to accommodate to the teachings of the church if we want to find that love, joy, and peace, those fruits of the spirit that we're all looking for. Yet it seems like, as you were just mentioning, right, this modernist view of life is is all about emotions, right? Love is no longer to will the good for the other. It's it's how do I feel inside? If I feel warm and fuzzy, that's love. And we we've totally, you know, obliterated the meaning of love. And it's almost as if people don't even know what it is, including the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Many in the hierarchy anyway. What are your thoughts? That I mean, they forget that uh love is actually willing the best for the other person to the point of self sacrifice if need be. And the best for other people, <laughs> excuse me, is the gospel, is salvation. It's being freed from your sins. <laughs> Dealing with this cold thing that will never go away, it seems like. But <laughs> people are, it, people do not want to accept that. And because of the core of that is this idea of universal salvation, that all men are saved. Dare we hope all men are saved. When the yeah, when and we've heard that scripture many makes pretty clear that most people that sacred scripture makes clear that most people are not saved. 
that it's open to everybody, but most people would rather choose the, the wide, easy path and not choose the, the narrow, more difficult path to salvation. Well, and, you know, we always hear the, you know, the old saying, you know, you get the leaders you deserve. And when we see mm-hmm. lack of faith or, you know, the, the lukewarmness, uh, it really is no surprise that we are where we are. And you talk about this has been going on for a long time, right? You just recently did the prophe- a prophecy of St. Padre Pio, right? In the early 1900s, I don't know, it was 1903 or 1913, I can't remember. Uh, but this is nothing new. This has been building and building and building. So when you live as an ostrich with your head in the sand and just think going to mass is fine, and you wake, pull your head out one day and you see where we are, it's because of our lack of faith and our lack of growing in that knowledge that really we have the leaders we have and we are where we are. Isn't it true? Pretty much. I mean, it's, it's sort of an institutionalized lukewarmness at this point, but it's worse than being lukewarm. I mean, if you want to talk about prophecy, you go with the the prophecy that everybody gets named the name of this Marian apparition wrong. It's unique to the, to the Anglos here, to the English speaking world to get this name wrong. People call it our lady of good success. But outside of the English-speaking world, she's actually known by what would be translated to as Our Lady of the Good Event of the Purification. And she, and this is Ecuador in the 17th century. She gave this, uh, she was, Our Lady said to have visited this nun who said, who she told about corrupt, rampant corruption in the, in the priesthood coming centuries after her time, among other things. It's as if, you know, heaven's been trying to get our attention that the roots were already set, the stage was already set in those days for our problems now. And it's all because essentially of sin. That I mean, if you go, in fact, you go through in any of the major Marian apparitions, the one constant message isn't doom and gloom and apocalypse. It's pray, repent, the you know, four last things, see the prayer rosary. Those that's the constant message in all of them. We all tend to get caught up in the, you know, consequences of now, you know, the doom and gloom apocalyptic stuff. But the real part of those messages we all need to pay, to pay attention to, whether you believe in these Marian apparitions or not, is that we all need to pray and repent, which is central theme of our faith. I recently, uh, I, I, not recently, maybe several months ago, had seen uh, Father Ripperger on uh, doing a talk. And he just said, you know, the problems that we see in the world we're preceded by the problems that we have within the church, right? The problems in the world don't take place if the church is holy and, and the light it's called to be. But because of that corruption, because of all the problems in the church, right, there's nowhere for people to look to, to get clarification or to be told, no, you're doing this wrong. You need to do it right. This, this you know, uh, fear of any kind of capital punishment, you know, as a parent or, you know, you know, teaching our kids right from wrong and holding them accountable is, is what we see in society because the church hasn't done it to us, has it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it seems that for my entire life that the message of the church has, has gone from that message of penance and spreading the gospel and living a better life and everything else to dialogue, dialogue, dialogue accompanying sinners and never they were never tell you where they're accompanying them but it seems that the accompaniment is to hell because when we see major prelates of the church these high-ranking prelates of the church from oh, i won't name and names but i name any major american cardinal or a famous archbishop and most of them are meeting with 
and and spending their time with pro-abortion politicians. That is the church surrendering on the one of the most quintessentially important issues of our time. And now we have that document is just the latest iteration of this, because from that document, the next logical step is um, transgenderism being recognized in some way by the church. That's the next logical step. Yeah, and well, we've heard about, you know, baptism and different things of that sort, right? We also saw that, you know, now you can keep pieces of your of your loved one in your home now because that's that's now acceptable, right? It's it's one thing after another. I mean, it's it's constantly chipping away at the foundation. Now the good news is, right, Christ wins the war. And it almost feels like this is an opportunity that Christ Christ doesn't will this confusion and all this evil, but he does allow it for, I always think, an opportunity for us to show how faithful are we, not only in growing in our faith, but defending the faith. And really, we have seen through all these things come out, there are people's true colors really being shown, right? People who we thought were traditionalists or weren't or whatever they were on the spectrum, when they come out and try to defend the things that are going on and rationalize them away, they really show themselves for who they are. And we show ourselves for who we are by how we respond, don't we? Yes, we do. It's in times like these, there are, the natural instinct is to. You, there are three really ways you can anybody can respond. One of which is to stick your head in the sand, and we've seen priests come out recently telling people to basically stick their head in the sand and not pay attention to these things, despite the fact that people are going to be led to hell by bad leadership. We should stick our head in the sand, and not pay attention to these things. Another natural response is, of course, to, um, you know, either just submit completely to what's going on or stand up and fight. Those are your three main options. And how to stand up and fight is, I think, you know, while keeping your faith, not losing your faith, not being subsumed by anger at what these people are doing to the Holy Church. That is sort of the $64,000 question of the time. It really is uh, a way to kind of look at ourselves and see how can I be a better light, right? And we need to do that starting in our families. And that's where we have mm-hmm. the greatest impact. And, you know, you're a father of three. Uh, I'm a father, grandfather. And, you know, when we look at our lives, it really is that faithfulness and and teaching our children right from wrong and and what is sin and what is not sin and and all the things the beauty of the church uh that really is our responsibility so when we go to meet our maker and we're asked for an accountability right we can show that we were the church militant right we actually took that to heart and not the church i don't care or the church i just want to get along and it really is an example for our children that if we don't do it then we can't expect anybody else to do it for us, can we? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we there are times where we must act, even if it even if it seems like we're acting alone, which is a weird sentiment to have. It sounds like a uniquely American idea, right? Because Catholics are expected to be obedient to the hierarchy, but we're not expected to be is obedient to error. People like to you know come with the Saint Catherine of Siena famous quote about even a scoundrel pope you should cling to. There are a number of doctors of the church who had been asked a similar kind of question and who, whose response was to resist. St. Cajetan was one of them. So there's a fair number of these. He's the one that springs to mind immediately. We are, we are called to stand up for the truth, even if it's 
uncomfortable, even if it seems to fly in the face of everything we've been taught. Because at the end of the day, many of us believe, there are many people who erroneously believe that the Holy Spirit handpicks the Pope. Anybody who knows a thing about the history of the papacy knows that idea is on its face ridiculous. Because there have been a number of scoundrels who've been popes before. Um, go look at the uh, go look at the ninth and tenth century when the uh, papacy was run by uh, some rather unsavory figures, men buying the papacy and the influence of prostitutes. And the I mean, there's some really gross things in the history of the papacy. So the idea that the Holy Ghost handpicks the Pope is kind of a novelty of the post-Vatican I era. People tend to believe it. I don't know where the idea really comes from. But people use that as their justification for saying, well, Francis was picked by the, was picked by the, the Holy Spirit so he can con- directly contradict literally every single pope in, in the last few centuries on issues of morality. That's fine, which is weird because that just basically reduces the Catholic faith to a form of papal relativism, and that's irrational. Well, one of the things I and I do enjoy, you know, listening to your to your podcast and and going on your your website and that's return to tr- true tradition, um, is that you know pray for the Pope, right? Pray for those in positions of power in the hierarchy. Really, everybody, uh, all the clerics, because all need our prayers, right? We all we do want people to see the truth. We do want people to get to heaven. And so we do need to pray for people. And it's not that there are enemies. It's just that, you know, we need to pray for them, but defend the truth and not just support people because of a title, right? That is correct. The, tr- the, the, the greatest tragedy and the most hateful thing you can do would be to purposely let people continue on a path of error and a path of sin. Well, you know, we know that not everybody is saved. It is a tragedy when when someone goes to hell. It is an act of justice, but it is also a tragedy because that person could have changed their ways. They could have essentially embraced the salvation freely offered by our Lord, but instead they chose to, be, to remain on the, on the path of evil. And it is a tragedy. And it's the most hateful thing we can do is to let others stay on the on the path of error. This is some might say that sounds a bit gnostic, but it, it isn't. We it's Catholic faith has been written down. Everything you ever need to know about the faith, you can find in old books published before the 1950s. After the 1950s, things just seem to have gone off the rails. <laughs> the relativism and other things, right? Old books, old catechisms, everything you need to know. The faith from 1905 was the same faith as it is today. The truths of the faith did not change because the calendar changed. Unfortunately, that's what people think, though, right? We think that, you know, the church is outdated, that it needs to be modernized. And look, we saw it in the 60s, right? Is there a beautiful 1960s church that was built in the United States? If there is, I've yet to see it. Um, it, it really is, you know, we, we did away with beauty. We've done away with the importance of the Eucharist. And I think, you know, this focus on the Eucharist and all that, look, that's terrific. But if we don't understand the faith and the why and everything behind it, we're not going to bring people back by just telling people Jesus is is in the tabernacle when we dress like slobs coming to mass, when we aren't reverent at mass, when we view mass as just something we need to do once a week and we get to get at, you know, kill my hour and get out of there. There is a reverence to dress. There is a reverence to posture and all these things that we've lost. 
So why does anybody think Jesus is in the tabernacle if we act like knuckleheads when we walk in the door? Well, right. I mean, this is why a lot of people like to cite Eucharistic miracles as some kind of endorsement for the way things are right now. But again, anybody who knows the history of these things, so Eucharistic miracles tend to happen in places where people don't believe in the real presence, whether it's the priest or the congregation or or wherever, where there's widespread disbelief in the real presence. It's not an endorsement of things going on. It's an actual condemnation of things going on. It is an act of mercy to try to snap people into belief when those things happen. And we should actually present ourselves at Mass to the best of our abilities as if we know who it is who will be kneeling before and receiving the tab- in the Eucharist and maybe actually do that act of self-examination before Mass to see if we actually are you know, in a suitable state to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. You know, I can never point a finger at any particular person at a parish, but it's just been known. It's, everybody seems to have noticed that confession lines tend to be short and the line for communion tends to be very long. And while you don't know in particular who has, you know, anybody else in particular, the trend line is troubling on that because that means that there's a lot of sacrilegious communion being done on a daily basis in the church. Because we don't hear it preached about a lot either about sin and going to confession as much as we should, and that missing mass is a mortal sin. So I know we're down to, you know, I'm down to about the last minute or so. And I, you know, I know your YouTube channel is, geez, almost about 125,000 followers. You have a big following. How can people, again, just remind people where they can follow you and that, you know, the content that you're putting out each day? So, um, I'm on YouTube, Spotify, most podcasting platforms. Uh, ReturnToTradition.org is where I post pretty much everything. Monday through Friday, there's a news video, um, except on Holy Days, Holy Days of Obligation. And then on Saturday and Sunday, there's a news video and an educational video. Well, except Sunday, there's no news video, but I do also a live stream every morning, too. Early in the morning, we're talking, if you're on the East Coast, um, you, you might be waking up to me <laughs> if you're catching me live. But it's basically two videos a day, sometimes three, depending on like the weekends or whatever, where we talk about the news and um, sometimes Catholic prophecy and other interesting things, as well as like educational videos. So um, this past, like during Advent, I was working through St. Francis de Sales' uh, famous Advent sermons. And I'm trying to, I'm already trying to nail down what I'm going to do for Lent so I can find the, a proper saint to work with for the, for the six Sundays of Lent. If you like the content of these shows that we produce on a weekly basis, please prayerfully consider supporting us. Go to ccdenver.org, click on the donate button, and then click on Respect Life Denver to support this programming. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.